I'm reading Psalm 46 from the Revised Standard uh, Version. Thank you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble in its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her, and that right early. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. But the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has wrought des desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Thank you, Mrs. Woods. It's lovely to hear different versions of the scripture as well, because he brings so much extra power to God's word. So a few months ago, some of you will know, I had a classic bike accident. I was on my brand new bike that I got for my 40th, and I managed to do that classic sort of front flip over the handlebars because I made that classic mistake of pulling my right hand brake on while signaling left, going down a hill. So I landed on my head on the road and thankfully I had my helmet on. All you non-helmet waiters, take notice, especially John Craig, because I used to have to always tell him when he was cycling up to ICC to get his helmet on. But yes, a rather a long story short, I ended up on one of those um, mountain rescue stretchers. My head taped, so I literally couldn't move for the rest of that day, the best part of five to six hours because they had to scan me to make sure I hadn't damaged my neck or my back. And thankfully, I am now fully recovered and extremely grateful there was no long-term damage. Non-helmet wearers, beware. But the irony for me about this event was that I had begun that week with a verse from Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. It was my guide for our reading and prayer week but I just no idea how physically still I'd actually end up for most of that week. Because for that day, I was taped to the board, and then for weeks later, I was kind of moving about like the tin man, because I just didn't have my full capacity in my body back. So I was pretty still until the whiplash and the concussion healed. Now, I'm no way saying that God 
was enforcing stillness on me. I'm pretty sure he was like, don't squeeze the right brake going down the hill. But it was during this period of physical stillness that I became aware of just how little my soul seemed able to be still. In fact, it went a little bit crazy. I was a bit worried about my recovery, if it would be full or not. I was frustrated about my inability to look after my kids or do my job here properly. And I was just really restless in my spirit. And what was really apparent to me was that I had been living for a long time, actually, before this accident, with an undercurrent of restlessness, low-grade anxiety, and high adrenaline, which was only brought to light in that period of incapacity. But Psalm 46, as I have found, speaks to restless and overwhelmed souls. And I wonder if that's some of you today. It speaks powerfully into our circumstances, both as individuals and as a church, and directs us what it means to be still. So let's have a look at the verses together in a wee bit more detail. The key message, I think, can be summarized by using three C's. Comfort, confidence, and command. So let's look at these in each of these three in turn. Firstly, God's people are comforted throughout Psalm 46 because of the reminders of the character of their God. The opening line, which I'm sure memory, many, many of you have already memorized, is God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. To the people at the time, the word refuge will have conjured up images of what were called the cities of refuge, which is described in the book of Numbers 30, chapter 35. And these were six cities governed by the Levites at the time, the tribe of Levi in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And they were cities that you could flee to in the unfortunate event that you'd accidentally killed someone. Now, under Mosaic law, if you'd killed someone, the penalty was your own death. But if you'd unintentionally killed someone, the person responsible could live out their days in one of those cities of refuge, in safety, and not to be put to death. It was actually a true refuge. So the immediate comfort for God's people at the time reading this psalm or hearing it sung is that God is described as the one who saves lives. He's the ultimate refuge, the ultimate safe sanctuary. He's also then described as our strength in the same verse. And the preacher, Stuart Briscoe, says, imagine that a person had run to the city, hoping they would find safety, only to discover that the city gates were down, they'd been breached, and totally not fit for purpose. If the city of refuge wasn't a strong fortress, then what's the point of it? But our God, writes the psalmists, is both our refuge and our strength, totally sufficient to give his people the protection that they need. I need a daily reminder that he's both my sanctuary and my strength when I'm dealing with trouble. I needed him when I was waiting for that scan to tell me if I'd done permanent damage. I need him when I'm believing lies from the enemy, the great accuser. I need him when trouble comes in the form of sin and darkness, which feels sometimes like death and there's no way out. And perhaps we all need reminded of God being our refuge and strength 
when we're perhaps criticized or looked down upon because of our faith. And the church as a whole needs to be reminded that when it feels like this, the battle against the enemy can feel really dark and tough. However, the truth that God is our refuge and strength can transform and impact how we live through troubles and cause us to persevere. And if we needed any more comfort and reassurance, the same verse continues to say that our God is ever present in times of trouble. How often have we watched superhero films, usually an Avenger or some sort, when it looks like all that's lost, but the savior of the day swoops in, usually wearing a cape, and saves someone from trouble at the very, very last minute. Well, our God described here doesn't just appear at the last minute because we're told that he is through the troubles, through our troubles from the off. He's ever present throughout. Ever present in Hebrew translates very present, a bit like the version that Mary Wood read to us, very present, almost making himself found exceedingly. It's a beautiful phrase. In our troubles, God doesn't play hide and seek with us. He makes himself found. The comfort for the people then and to us now is that God is constantly and consistently present with us. And even more so now with his spirit living in us. The psalm calls us and says, take comfort, overwhelmed people of God. He is our refuge strength and he is ever present in our trouble. And the comfort continues through verses two and three. Verse 2 proclaims, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way. The imagery used here is that even when the very foundations of the earth are shaking, when we feel completely out of control and powerless, God will still be our stronghold, even when everything else around us seems to be collapsing. There's certainly a huge feeling of instability across the world right now. So much unrest, war, famine, disease, a web of deceit of many who are in power across the nations. Thousands of Christians persecuted in actual earthquakes. And if I'm honest, fear and despair for what many are suffering, sometimes it seems all too easy to feel and to feel overwhelmed by. But as the verse in Lamentations says, there's nothing new under the sun. In other words, many of these things were happening to the people of God at the time that this psalm was written, and yet they produced a psalm of praise and comfort like this, which still declared their God as a holy, sufficient refuge, their strength and very present in their trouble. And God is the same to us today. Secondly, this psalm bursts with confidence in God. Not only in his character, as we've just looked at, but the, all that he is mightily capable of. Verses 4 to 6 declare that where the presence of God dwells, everyone is provided for, like a river of refreshment and nurture. His presence brings peace, despite the nations being in uproar. And no one can come against a city where God's presence lives. God's presence brings provision and protection. And verse 5 says, God is within the city. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. 
And in verse 6, we're also reminded to have confidence in the power of God's voice. When all he has to do is simply lift his voice and the earth melts and is subdued. Our confidence is in a God who created the universe by simply speaking. So one word from him can bring those opposed to his kingdom, both spiritual and physical, down. So perhaps the challenge to us today is also to speak and proclaim God's word confidently and expecting him to do mighty things in us as individuals and as a church. In my reading just last week in Lectio 365, there was this quote from the famous author Dallas Willard. He says, the world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They have done their best they could, they could, no doubt. But this is an age for spiritual heroes, a time for men and women to be heroic in faith and in spiritual character and power. And the way we can do this is through confidence in how mighty our God is and believing in the power of his word for transformation. Do we have enough confidence in our God to believe the impact his word dwelling in us can have on our society and the world? Do we need to be reminded that where his spirit lives within the people of his church, there can be life and peace through the power of our words and what we say and what we proclaim. Verse 7 says, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The message translation puts it like this. Jacob, wrestling God, fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. The message of this psalm is to have confidence in who our God is and what he is doing, who is so proactively present in our lives and who is commanding his angel armies for our benefit, for the benefit of his people and for the benefit of his kingdom, as he has done for generations. And if we're still in any doubt about the confidence we can have in God, verses 8 and 9 say to us, come and see to come and remember all the works of God on the earth and all that God has already done on behalf of his people and his kingdom. Remember that for the people of God at the time, they were constantly under threat from one enemy or another. So the words used here in verses 8 and 9 are a bit like a battle cry against all the nations who would come against them. The words are a declaration of the confidence in God's rescuing and battle-winning power and the ability to bring peace. The people of time will have recalled rescues such as being saved from slavery in Egypt or from the Philistines through young David against Goliath. So in what ways can we keep recalling God's power and mercy and rescue of us as individuals, but also as a church here at Parkhead? These words invite us to keep remembering all that God has done, winning for us spiritual and physical rescue, to give us confidence in all that he will continue to do through us. Let's keep declaring our allegiance to our battle Lord, keep declaring our confidence in him, a battle cry that reminds us of our identity as God's cared for people.
So after all these verses of giving God's people comfort and confidence in him, we then reach the third theme, which is the command in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew for the phrase be still can also be translated like stop, let go, cease striving. And the message translation again puts the whole verse like this. It says, step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. And remember the context of this verse? It's a time of conflict, it's a time of war. This isn't a call to simply be quiet, but a much deeper command to stop fighting, to acknowledge that the battle is the Lord's. Because when we take time to stop, not just taking a day off, but purposefully stopping to acknowledge who God is in our lives and in the life of our church, we can find a stillness that is life-giving and much more than when we keep on striving in our own strength. I remember discovering the meaning of this stillness after my bike accident. I remember writing in my journal a whole page of the following words. You are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. It was my expression of what it meant to be still because I stopped and I surrendered my striving. I gave God his rightful place. I was still in the sense that my soul was focused on God. The stillness for me was a complete pause in the hurry of my life and a declaration that he was and is the God of my life and the God of the universe. He is God, I am not. And be still and know that I am God directs us beyond finding simply a place of quiet, but is an act of surrender. And is also a command in our daily, everyday rhythms to calm our restlessness and our fears and to refocus on the comfort and confidence we have in the great I am, who is fully known in the person of Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection, and the life, I am. In Jesus, we have the ultimate comfort and confidence. So stillness, I've concluded, is not an optional extra for disciples of Jesus and the church. It's a non-negotiable essential. Because when we lose our ability to be still as individuals or as the church, we lose the space that it gives to remind ourselves of who God is in our lives. And we too easily stumble and fall into the trap of the God of busyness, of hurry, and of striving that our Western world thrives on. So in practical terms, what does this stillness actually look like? As I really don't recommend everyone falling off their bike to receive an epiphany. Well, like everything in the life of being a disciple, cultivating stillness in our lives is a journey and it also requires work. I've tried to be purpose purposeful every single day and even then I don't always manage, 
but I'm also more determined than I ever have been to make it part of my rhythm of life than I ever have actually been before. I want to trade my restlessness and striving for his comfort and his confidence. If anyone needs a good book to read this summer, I would highly recommend the book by John Mark Comer. I meant to bring a copy today, but it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in it, it diagnoses our Western culture with hurry sickness and the chronic inability to be still, since we cram our time so full that our daily lives leave little or no room to stop and to connect with God. Our rhythms, or lack of them, make following the footsteps of Jesus, who demonstrated a way of stillness, almost impossible. But the author suggests four helpful practices of silence and solitude, Sabbath, slowing, and simplicity to combat our overwhelmingly and hurried lives so that we can keep Jesus at the center. I thoroughly recommend giving it a read. And I also love the rhythm of Lectio 365, the app which before each prayer time gives you a chance to be still and acknowledge God's presence with you. And don't be put off by thinking that you actually have to be motionless like I was after my bike accident when you're pursuing stillness. It's much more about the stillness and surrender of your mind and your heart. And I often find that walking or journaling or reading, sometimes painting if I'm feeling creative, helps me focus better my thoughts on God and it comes more easily. But it still takes a lot of work. But in finishing today, we're going to take time to respond to this command by using a tool called breath, breath prayers. It's said in the people in the Western world don't actually breathe properly because our lives are so rushed and they're exacerbated by stress and anxiety. And when we don't take proper breaths, it's easy to forget the one who breathed life into us in the first place. The word for the Holy Spirit in the Bible in Hebrew and Greek is also the same word used for breath. And Romans 8 verse 11 says this, And if the Spirit, the breath of him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his breath, his Spirit who lives in you. Our breathing gives us not only an opportunity to be still, but also a way to acknowledge the very life God has breathed into us through Christ by his spirit. So in these next few moments, we're going to take time to practice these breath prayers. Debbie Horrocks from the Charter has helped our young mums group these past few weeks that meets on a Tuesday. And it's given us these breath prayers as a way to help young mums who are busy through the day and often all through the night to catch moments with God and to take an actual breath. The idea with a breath prayer is that when you breathe in, you think of a name of God. So for example, the psalm gives us an example. On your breath in, you could say, ever-present God or Lord Jesus Christ. And then on the breath out, you can use a scripture that speaks to your heart. So for example, on the breath in, ever-present God, breath out, you are my refuge, or you are my strength, 
or I surrender all, or I receive your peace. So choose one of these just now. I'm going to lead us in a couple to begin with. And then while we continue to use our breath prayers, we're going to listen to another worship song, which talks about the beauty of being still in God's presence. And we'll just do these breath prayers in our heads. Sometimes I do it out loud when I'm really panicking at home. But for the benefits of today, we'll do it in our minds. So let's breathe in. Ever-present God, breathe out. I receive your peace. Ever-present God, breathing in. I receive your peace. And we'll listen to the worship song just now. Thank you. <laughs> 